On the 5th of September 2019, a very special event took place at Mutemwa, a leprosy settlement in the northeast of Zimbabwe. It's about 80 miles from the capital, Harare. The leader of the church in Zimbabwe, Archbishop Ndlovu, was there, as well as four other bishops from the country and over 400 clergy. Oh, and about 15,000 people from all around. Why? To launch the cause for sainthood of an Englishman who had given his life while caring for the lepers at Mutemwa 40 years before. This was John Bradburn, who's now well on his way for beatification, depending, of course, on how quickly the wheels at the Vatican turn. He's already been designated a servant of God, which is the first step along the canonization road. We might call him England's next saint, bearing in mind that he's Zimbabwe's saint too. Indeed, that country's first. But what's especially interesting, and the point was made strongly in the homily during the Mass at Mutemwa, is that John was a layman, not a priest or a monk or a nun, which is the usual background for a saint. And this in itself is rather rare, but surely a role model for ordinary folk, yes? What brought 15,000 people to Mutemwa that day? Oh, and by the way, not only on that day, for each year on the anniversary of his death, thousands make a pilgrimage to the village. I've been there, and it's by no means the easiest of places to get to, especially in a country where the economy is in such a perilous state, and travelling long distances is a real challenge. But people do make the effort and get there. And the reason? to remember a man who cared so much for the poor and infirm that he refused to leave them, even though his life was in danger during the Rhodesian Civil War. And they believe he is still with them. It certainly is a very special place, with an atmosphere of holiness and peace, just like any other centre of pilgrimage in the world, perhaps even greater than the famous locations such as Lourdes, as it hasn't been commercialised. So, who was John Bradburn? He was born in the Lake District in England in 1921, September the 5th. Note the date. It's the one the Zimbabwean bishops chose to launch the cause in 2019. And note the year. It's the centenary of his birth this year, which is the reason I'm recording this series of talks. Anyway, as I say, he was born in the tiny village of Skirwith, or Skirith as it's often locally called, in Cumbria. He was the son of an Anglican vicar, who eventually moved to look after a parish in Norfolk, and that's where John went to secondary school, Gresham School. Then, at 18, well, it was 1939, he joined the army and served in Malaya, seeing a lot of action and by all accounts showing great bravery. As the Japanese advanced, he managed to escape capture, but fell seriously ill with malaria and was evacuated to India. He returned to England after the war and took a variety of jobs while restlessly searching for a vocation. He became a Catholic at Buckfast Abbey, 
explored several monastic orders and travelled a great deal. He spent a lot of time wandering around Italy and visiting the Holy Land. He wrote a poem about one of his visits, of Bethlehem, and we can hear him reading it himself. Of Bethlehem. How far is it to Bethlehem? I asked, knowing it must be less than seven miles. The seven holy hills in starlight basked, and still Jerusalem my mind beguiles. The road led uphill all the way. I'd walked from Jaffa Gate at dusk that Pentecost. I went alone, only to me I talked, hoping that soon in wonder I'd be lost. Proceeding between the fields and olive yards, I came at last to little Bethlehem. I took some food, talked to Ishmaeli guides of law and order. It is thanks to them that I achieved a room amidst an inn whose prices they had halved for me, no sin. Rightly received mine host, like wafer thin, upon which Monday morn a stray it shall. He has a lovely, cultured voice, hasn't he? And he speaks with great care and obvious sincerity. I'll play some more examples of John reading in later programs in this series. There aren't actually very many recordings that have survived, but the ones that we do have are like gold dust. After all, how often do we have the chance to hear the voice of a saint? On one of his wanderings, he visited Assisi. And developed a deep relationship with the life of Saint Francis and his love for the poorest of the poor. He became a tertiary lay Franciscan, obeying its rule and singing the daily office of Our Lady. He lived its hours, rising at dawn for matins and ending the day with vespers and compline. In 1962, he confided to a Franciscan priest that he had three wishes. To serve leprosy patients, to die a martyr, and to be buried in the habit of Saint Francis. Well, after several years of restless searching, he got his first wish. He wrote to a priest friend in Rhodesia with a simple request: Was there a vacant cave in Africa where he could live and pray? His friend said yes, and so he arrived in 1968. And worked on the Jesuit missions as a lay helper before the crucial change, becoming warden of Mutemwa, and transforming it into a community of peace, 
joy and love. His unstinting service to all at Mutemwa gave the lepers back their self-respect and self-worth and changed their lives. He was greatly loved by them, and many still remember him today with deep gratitude and affection. He got his second wish in 1979. It was a time of civil war in Rhodesia, and he was advised to get out of the country. But he refused to leave his beloved lepers. He was abducted from his hut by one of the guerrilla factions and shot dead. His second wish. Then, at his funeral in the cathedral, he got his third wish. During the Mass, drops of blood were seen beneath his coffin. Afterwards, the embarrassed undertaker opened the coffin, but there was no sign of any blood. Then it was noticed that John was wearing ordinary clothing, and a Franciscan habit was sent for. That was the first of many special events that have since come to be associated with his name. Mutemwa, as I said, has become a place of pilgrimage. The miracle of the spinning sun has been seen there and recorded on video. There have been many testimonials acknowledging his intervention. In the 1990s, the John Bradburn Memorial Society was established to continue supporting Mutemwa. It's called the Mutemwa Care Centre now and, of course, to foster John's cause for sainthood. If you go to their website, johnbradburn.com, oh, don't forget the E at the end of Bradburn, you can keep up to date with all the current developments. It's difficult to categorise John Bradburn. He was a pilgrim and a hermit, a poet and a musician, a joker and a mystic and a down-to-earth spiritual thinker, expressing profound theological insights. For me, he's John Bradburn the poet, because since the 1990s I've been editing his extraordinary output of poems. And here's the fact. Nobody has ever written as much quality poetry in the English language as he did. Definitely the most prolific poet we have but note the word quality. It isn't enough for you or me to sit down and scribble thousands of lines of poetry. No, no, what we write has to be judged by someone other than us, an an editor, a reviewer, a publisher. In John's case, every word he wrote has been given an editorial review. And when his cause for sainthood goes through its later stages... It'll be read again by three theologians, all of it. I don't envy them their task. But uh, I can hear you thinking, how do you measure poetry? Well, the easiest way is just to count the lines. And that's easy to do these days, thanks to computers. As when a poet's writing is made digital, there are clever programs that can do just that. So, let's compare some famous poets of the past. John Milton wrote about 20,000 lines. William Wordsworth, about 50,000. Shakespeare, 
about 90,000 in his verse plays as well as his poems. But John Bradburn wrote about 170,000 lines in over 5,000 poems. I must admit, I was taken aback when I first did that calculation. But it's one that's been recognised by Guinness World Records. In my next programme, I'll introduce you to the poetry in more detail. But I'll end this week by giving you another taster. I'll read you one of his love poems. This one reverses the common expression, God is love. He wrote it in 1973 and called it, Love is God. Love is the triune substance of the Lord. Begetting and begotten, he proceeds, being himself perfection of accord from all eternity, before time's deeds. Before all doing, love is thought divine, and thought's divine fulfilling in the word, and voice the vehicle of being heard by him himself, rejoicing and ashine. He has no need of visible creation, or of creation none on earth may see, but in his endless heavenly elation at being love, he amplifies his glee. As analogical as it is true, love is like one who longs to share a view. <laughs> 